This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put an edge on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge. We're going to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, relationships, intimacy, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. Ooh. Hmm. Can't help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up. You're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we dive in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content in Nam, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if you're already, let's flap and do this. <laughs> oh my god, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. It's my podcast. I'm leaving it in. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. All right. Hey, labial lovers. Welcome back to the lounge. Today we're talking about mushrooms, motherhood, psychedelic healing, and maybe if we've got time, we'll even squeeze in some herbal contraception and abortion methods. But that's not the main topic of today. It's just one of the many, many things that are, is in my beautiful guest's wheelhouse. So today I've got Michaela Delamico, who comes from a blended ancestry. Her ancestors come from southern Italy, the Caribbean, and Mexico, and she uplifts their perspectives in the space of entheogens. In her everyday life, Michaela serves as a mother, an educator, a folk herbalist, a community organizer, and entheogen facilitator. She cares for all people with ancestral healing ways and has collaborated as an educator and activist with hundreds of companies and organizations within the sacred earth medicine space. She's well known as a maternal caretaker in the community and her platforms, Mama Della Mico <laughs> and the Mush Womb, generate educational content that weaves the tapestry of medicine woman, psychedelic mother and sacred hoe. Oof, yum. In all her creations, Michaela has made the commitment to rematriate entheogens by advocating for ethics and womb-to-tomb psychedelic literacy. Her most recent movement, which we are definitely going to talk about, Mothers of the Mushroom, is an open-source research and resources project meant to further permission the world into remembering that psychedelics are for families. Wow, I'm so excited to talk to you, Michaela. <laughs> Welcome. My pleasure. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Oh my gosh, where do we even begin? I guess just pulling a couple of things from your bio to give people a rundown because this is slightly unusual territory for the Labia Lounge. I have done an episode on MDMA therapy and um, psychedelics, but we, we didn't touch super heavily on um, yeah a lot of what we're going to talk about today. So just for people that aren't familiar... Do you want to explain what an entheogen is? And then maybe you can roll into why you're so passionate about these medicines. Sure. Um, so entheogens is a term that got kind of 
coined in the late 90s with some of the earlier um, kind of educators in the space, names like Terrence McKenna and Dennis McKenna might ring a bell for some people. Um, and we received the word entheogen out of that movement. And it is of kind of a Greek origin, um, theology being the study of God, right? So theo, as many people know, means like um, spirit or like the endogenous godhood. Um, N, right? The N in entheogen is within, Theo is the godhood, and then gen is to generate. So um, substances of all kinds, whether they come from plants or fungi or animal medicines that assist us in generating a godhood uh, consciousness within us all is what most people mean when they mention entheogens. So um, that's the terminology that I use when um, I'm in my education. I also interchangeably will use words like a sacred earth medicine um, because plant medicine talks a little bit about the spectrum of medicines that are entheogenic in nature. However, many medicines also come from the animal kingdom and also come from um, the fungi and mushroom world. And those are certainly not plants. So um, that's why the broader range of entheogens and sacred earth medicines are words that I, I tend to use in my education. Oh my gosh, amazing. I was th trying to think like, oh, wow, what, what comes from animals? The only thing I could think of was maybe cambo or like frog medicine. Mm -hmm. What are some other examples of some entheogens? Um, so entheogens that I primarily work with, um, I primarily work with mushroom, but I would absolutely consider cannabis an entheogen in its own respect. Um, MDMA for me has entheogenic properties as well. Um, I have a loving relationship with Madre Ayahuasca. I really care very deeply as well for, um, I love working with DMT. Um, I also have a relationship too with um, tobacco and um, I would love to, make the make the claim perhaps that you know there isn't like a hierarchy a hierarchy of sacred earth medicines that some people might like mm. want to position you know what i mean it's like ayahuasca and dmt all the way at the top and then like the humble chamomile here at the bottom you know what i mean um <laughs> i have learned that I'll, in my folk herbalism practice that like every single element of nature animal plant fungi relative tree relatives have like an endogenous godhood and spirit within them that can teach us so i would love to just offer that as a possibility to your listeners to imagine what you know a sacred rose you know the teachings of a rose might give to us as far as blossoming and sensuality and sweetness and the presence that they bring and also you know these other helpful medicines like um working with water you know and like the medicine that that is as well so um some of the entheogens that i work with and also want to expand the definition to include all sentient life on earth yeah. Damn. All right. <laughs> so beautiful. So when did you kind of begin your relationship with entheogens? 
you know, herbalism, it sounds like it's something that's come from your ancestry and that has always been a part of your life in some shape or form. But what kind of brought brought up enough passion to follow this as your kind of career? Yeah. Yeah, my work in the world was certainly paved by my ancestry 100%. Um, I am on my mother's side of the family. We come from folk herbalists. So um, they're rural and remote hometown in Southern Italy was about two hours away from um, an allopathic hospital. And so most of their knowledge of healing had to come from um, what was passed down and what was around. So uh, most of the babies were born, you know, right there in the home. And that was very, and broken bones, sprains, illnesses, those things were really managed and maintained by the tradition of knowledge. And so um, I'm very grateful to have been raised also in a household that was that way. And my mother built a beautiful foundation for me um, in sourcing a lot of that healing knowledge with plants and practices. So um, I grew up in that. And not both of my parents were like that, though. I did grow up with a father who also um, had different gifts. And his different gifts were in the arts. Both of my parents are creatives, but my father was a, a dancer and a performer and an orator and someone who really expressed himself through um, like musical theater and performance. And so, yeah, I also was raised up in movement and dance and singing mm-hmm. in the church choir and stuff. So um, I think that was actually really cool. Um, a really cool part of my upbringing that I, I love to let people know about that performativity and creativity are also a big avenue in which I share most of the things in my world. Um, and I first got in contact with mind altering substances. I mean, my parents were heavy drinkers. So, I mean, I think I started experimenting with alcohol, like at a pretty young age, 12, 13, you know, just uh, discovering tobacco, discovering cigarettes, things like that. And then, um, very poignantly changed my mind with cannabis um, for the first time um, I smoked when I was 12. And I found actually MDMA shortly after that. So cannabis came first. MDMA came when I was 13. I I navigated those altered states of consciousness. I actually became addicted to opiates at 13 and 14. So um, I was always really fascinated by changing my mind and um, had to learn how to do so in like in righteous ways, you know, um, Mm. not every way was a righteous way. And I, I needed to also learn harm reduction and educate myself too. So Mm. I found LSD and psilocybin in college, ayahuasca shortly after. So I drank ayahuasca around age 20. And so that was almost 10 years ago. Um, so I, I'm happy. I'm so happy that I was able to find these medicines early in my life. Um, Mm. You know, in my teen years, I found LSD and psilocybin in my teens. I was only 19 when I found those medicines and people are being introduced to them now, but something that's just so markedly different about the people journeying in college and the people journeying these days is like 
the galvanization of the personality, right? The like rigidity and the dogmatic beliefs Mm. that seem to like sink their teeth into people, the older that they get, the more jaded they get about Mm. the world. And I'm really grateful that I found these medicines as like a curious, um, spirited young person who wanted to just learn from them, you know, as opposed to maybe like, what can you do for me? I, Mm. I want you to, be this for me. So um, I'm really grateful that I found good teachers at that time. I found, you know, Yoni steam practitioner teachers. I found powerful women to help guide me. I sat in many women's circles and sat in these communities of traditional healers and continue to do that to this day. So as much as finding medicine is important, I also feel that finding culturally competent and, um, you know, these spaces that speak to our ancestry and call them forward is just as important as the medicine itself. Mm, yeah, big time. And uh, so, so many stories I've heard of people finding these medicines when they were young, but in the wrong environment or without the right scaffolding and support and education and having, you know, this first experience completely unprepared um, and it being a little bit traumatizing because they didn't have any of those things in place to, I guess, caretake their first experience um, or sort of, you know, grandfather them into that. Um, However, I also have a lot of friends that did find these medicines really young and I just feel like I can tell, like they're like old souls. They feel very, very mature and wise for their years however they're still really open-minded it just seems to have like you know they seem to have lived some serious life um compared to maybe some other people who um yeah didn't discover it or got I mean I remember in high school I was insanely anti-drugs because of the whole like war and drug like campaign stuff like hangover um and learning in school you know, a drug is a drug is a drug. They're all bad. They're all going to fuck you up. They're going to ruin your life. Um, and you know, there was a fair bit of like alcoholism and and things like that in my, in my family. So I was very like, you know, very judgmental, very, uh, scared. So I would never have tried anything like that, even if I had have had access to it. Although I suppose if I was in a, you know, community or had friendships where that was more normalized and supported, then maybe I would have. Um, but I discovered it a little bit later in my early, early twenties. So maybe, maybe 21, which is still really young. Um, and I'm really grateful for that too. Um, because it's just been pretty life changing, really. Um, and yeah, there was something else I was going to say about something that you mentioned. Um, it's gone. It's gone. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm wondering like if you wanted to elaborate a little bit on how psychedelics have changed your life and it's really tricky. I find it so hard to talk about this because there is still so much judgment, so much misinformation, so many assumptions people are making and you know they have kind of become potentially quite rigid around this if they've believed something for a really long time and they've bought into the propaganda um it can be really tricky to change somebody's mind especially when like a lot of the language used around psychedelic experiences is just so alienating for those who have never 
experience that altered state of consciousness and you know now associate it with like oh dirty hippies who like don't have their shit together and are just talking about like you know (laughs) consciousness or whatever um it's been it's been tricky for me to try to yeah explain to my mum for instance like about psilocybin um but I feel like now there's a lot more research and there's a lot more uh, funding for studies coming out that's giving us some supporting evidence for these conversations. But anyway, this is a long-winded way of asking you to just like maybe give us a little bit of a an insight into how like the main ways that psychedelics have just transformed your life or, or inform your life still. Thank you. Yeah. So I, um, the person that I was before my psychedelic experiencing, um, was vastly different than the person I am presently. And I look back at my life often and consider the timeline as like a post psychedelic self and a, at like a pre psychedelic and a post psychedelic self, Mm. um, who I was before medicine and then who I am now. And, um, I, would say that um remembering and thinking fondly on like my first mushroom experience um you know people and my peers had kind of warned me about doing two things on medicine um one of which was looking into a mirror and the other of which was calling your parents or talking to your family mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like don't do those things so like fuck up your trip and um i just I'm I'm just such a terrible listener and and mostly in this like in this overtly disobedient type of way. It's like usually if someone tells me to not do something, like my curiosity and my attention towards the why of not doing that so overcrowds my mind that I feel really called to do it just to <laughs> fuck around and find out. So I yeah. I'm so grateful that I did do those two things because they absolutely shaped everything about who I am in this moment. Um, the first of which don't look in a mirror. Um, I like received kind of my first assignment from mushroom and like my first really clear teaching around what the nature of my life was and like who I, who I have always been and like will continue to be, which is, um, that I'm an artist. The medicine was really clear about that was like, you're an artist. That's why you don't think this same exact way as everybody else. You feel very like out, you know, of the norm. Like you just, you're like a wild creative that requires creativity in order to function properly. Um, and then I like looked at my room and I was like, Oh, that's why I exist this way, you know? And I feel maybe in more, harmony when I'm by myself creating than when I'm like socializing with others. Cause I, I did grow up with a good deal of social anxiety because of, you know, being bullied by my peers often. So, um, I often retreated to poetry, um, painting collage work. Um, and it is very much the way that I'm able to communicate any of my ideas these days is through graphic design and, um, creating things in the digital space. So I'm really grateful to medicine for sh- showing that to me and telling me about myself. And the second thing about my mother, you know, I was so overwhelmed with like a state of understanding and gratitude for everything she'd done for me. One moment. 
Oh, yeah, okay, go outside. Just, just go outside. I don't. Go, 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 go. <laughs> just begging me. Begging me for freedom. Oh. So, um, I... I felt such an overwhelming sense of gratitude for my mother and an overwhelming sense of compassion, understanding for the person that she'd been, that I wanted to call her to just express my gratitude for her Mm. and to give her her flowers and to just acknowledge what a pain in the ass I'd been as a kid. And that I recognized that she'd done a fine job with all the tools that she had. And so um, that was a one of the loveliest conversations I ever had with my parent. And that's not to say that things just immediately got better after that, but it was a, it's a conversation we both look fondly back at. And mm-hmm. as the first olive branch in my relationship with healing my mother wound. So that was really meaningful. And so those two things, my relationship to myself as an artist and my relationship to my mother as someone who's a benevolent force, who's just trying to do the best that she can is pretty much everything I do in my life these days. So um, those two things, of course, and because of the conversation of, you know, where we are, like your podcast as a sex positive sex educator, you know, full spectrum sex educator person. I also want to name that um, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. And so many other people are. And I didn't have the tools in which to navigate the um, outcomes of that. And so it showed up in a myriad of ways, like addictive, you know, patterning, um, feeling, yeah, like an empty void, um, sometimes seeking, you know, gratification and um, satisfaction from, you know, intimate relationships, um, even though they could have been empty and meaningless and even harmful. Um you know, lack of self-worth, things like that. So I started learning in Western Tantra as like a 19-year-old. And I met a teacher um, who pretty much just turned into a spiritual pimp for the most part. But I learned a great deal in his tutelage and care. And um, I started practicing these arts as a sensual massage therapist around the same time as I started engaging with entheogens and mushrooms and LSD and ayahuasca in particular. So I actually, you know, engaged in sex work while I was learning and exploring my mind within the psychedelic space. And I see the extreme benefit of, um, you know, what I received in exploring my body, exploring others, exploring intimacy, closeness, sacred sexuality with the support of psychoactive medicines. Um, that was instrument. They, they were instrumental in helping me access repressed memories, release, um, you know, shame around intimacy in my body, release um, pain that I'd been holding on to because of my experiences um, and alchemize the truth that not only could I walk in a beautiful medicine path and like honor plants and be honored by medicines and explore and expand in this way, but could also be a very pleasurable, sensuous and an intimate being. And I often see those two um, beings, those two conditions of being 
very polarized. Like you're either the virgin or the whore. And Mm. I really wanted to alchemize the two together to know that there was a place for me in this world that being a sacred intimate and someone who works with medicine is a position held and highly esteemed in our society and has been uplifted and honored for time immemorial. And in my research, there are a lot of um, artifacts of that person, you know, being a part of the human family. And I've just kind of taken to also studying and resurrecting that archetype within myself. Um, I have an ancestral wound in my family around splitting the personality to accommodate for dogmatic religious beliefs while also trying to get sensual needs met. So my father was in the church and my father was also an ex-sex worker. Like he was a dancer, (laughs) like that kind of dancer. And so (laughs) he found Christianity, right? Like he was a uh, choreographer for the Playboy Bunnies and like lived at the mansion and, you know, was involved in that world, was very deep in that world and was saved by Christianity and like really struggled, really struggled to be both. And I, my Caribbean ancestors really like, they worked so hard in ensuring that sensuality maintained in our spiritual traditions. And so I really watched him struggle to be both, like to be this like vibrant, intimate, like wild Caribbean, indigenous Mexican, like flavorful human being, while also being a father and a business person and a church going man and a God fearing man. And it made him so sick that he died of cancer at 53. So I'm just like, yo, that will not be my path. Like I need to find a way to be me in this, in this system that wants me to be one or another. And I want to, I want to be it all. So this, you know, psychedelic mother and medicine woman and sacred hoe is like that intersection of like me healing so much of the roles that often women and also men get placed in by our world. So um, that that decomposition of structures was beautifully bestowed to me by Sacred Mushroom and was like, yes, you can. And yes, we are. And when, you know, the shit got heavy working in that studio, you know, I've talked about it openly now, you know, many years after working there that, you know, I was basically pimped out by a spiritual guru type Western Tantra flim flam sham man. Um, You know, I've been very open about that. I, um, you know, mother ayahuasca actually kind of reeled it in for me. I'd been in that practice for three years. And when I sat with, with Madre, she found me in a place where I was so actually low key full of shame and and guilt about what I was doing. I was, you know, separating my life. I had a different name in that practice. I wore different clothes in that practice. Like I was not, I was not an integrated being while I was working there because I had a lot of shame and I couldn't spend any time around children because I felt like they would maybe become dirty because of who I was um, being around them. And so mother ayahuasca actually, after three years of being in that practice was like, it's time to leave that practice. Um, 
it's time to walk away from that world. It's not dangerous. It, it is dangerous and it's not empowering you. And um, at least not in the way that it's been designed by this person that you're working for. So um, I made my leave. I got into a terrible accident that um, almost shattered my pelvis and I couldn't feel any sensation from my navel to my knee. And so I actually had to like rewire my pleasure centers, which was really cool. And ayahuasca kind of guided me out of that space. I couldn't even do massage anymore because I couldn't bend forward for like a year. So um, I'm very grateful to earth medicine for its, it's very impactful teachings. And what is so beautiful about that experience with ayahuasca is that there was a child present. Um, So I got to work on, you know, my relationship with children and how I felt around kids and my own innocence. And they had a beautiful circle around conscious contraception and plant-based birth control and tracking cycles. And after I left, not only did I leave my sensual massage practice, but I also removed um, hormonal birth control and have never looked back. So um, absolutely instrumental in becoming the person that I am today. And I will say with every fiber of my being that those changes, they took years they took years to integrate, make sense of, weave the tapestry of, I mean, my first ayahuasca sit was 10 years ago. And since then, I've only ever sat two more times. So I'm not a person who really highly promotes over consuming medicine. Um, if you really pay attention to the lessons that they're trying to teach and share, you don't need much to absolutely change your life. So um, I guess that is a long-winded answer to the way that medicines were instrumental, but they um, they continue to help me even to this day. Oh my God, thank you so much for such a vulnerable and potent share. I'm like riddled in goosebumps um, as you're talking. That's Wow, there's a lot in there. There's so much I want to say. Oh, Hey, baby babes. Sorry to interrupt. I just had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that I'd love you to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. There you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies, behind the scenes, or discounts for offerings from guests who have been interviewed on the podcast. There'll also be hopefully, inspiring, thought-provoking conversations and support from a community of labial legends like yourself. My vision for this is that it becomes a really supportive, educational and hilarious resource for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes or look up the Labia Lounge group in Facebook and I'll see you in there. And now back to the episode. I think like that's so just while it's in my head before I forget, it's so interesting that um, feeling of like, oh, while I'm doing this sex work, I can't be around children. I'm going to, you know, the dirtiness will rub off on them and there's that kind of shame. Um, I was doing, so I I do yoni massage and yoni mapping therapy uh, and I was at the time doing lingam massage and some tantric body work like when I was first starting out on this sort of like sexual healing path while working as a childcare worker at a kindergarten. 
Um, and I used to be really scared that the parents were going to find out because like I didn't feel as though it was wrong, but there was this really interesting kind of s- sort of double life personality split thing going on that you kind of describe not as extreme, but like, yeah, I, I totally grappled with how to integrate those two parts of me. And, you know, it was actually really cool because I ended up nannying for a few families in really progressive areas who um, were super open to to hearing about what I did and they weren't like, get away from my children. Um, but yeah, as I've done it over the years more and more and kind of stepped into that as a professional career, I think I've really integrated a lot of the the latent shame that I hadn't fully let go of when I was first delving into that work. So yeah, super interesting. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine how completely torn apart your dad would have been like trying to yeah live with both of those like realities and expressions of himself oh my gosh just so horrific that we even have to you know we feel like we have to make a choice between them hey so I'm just really grateful that you're doing this work and you're showing that like you can be a mother and you can also be fucking sexy and sensual and you can also you know enjoy pleasure and altered states of consciousness and yeah it's so important um but before I forget I want to direct people to uh an episode that I have actually a couple of episodes around something that you brought up it just sparked my memory of these episodes I did on um the spiritual community like underbelly that is getting talked about more and more now, but I had a guest, Mangala Holland, um, and also another guest, Bonnie Bliss, who I've done a couple of different episodes on these um, sorts of things where, like, you know, these women were in tantric ashrams slash sex cults. Um, and it's just, yeah, when you're talking about this tantric guru that basically pimped you out I was like oh my god another another (laughs) um so yeah I mean I'm not like saying that entire industry is fucked obviously like that's where (laughs) I started my work with sexuality but I've gone pretty pretty far away from that origin now because there is yeah a lot of gray area and a lot of shady shit going on so if Mm -hmm. anyone's interested or curious go check out those episodes one's called the underbelly of the spiritual community i think the other one's called clitgasms aren't the devil <laughs> um because as you might know in the tantric community sometimes they talk about clitoral orgasms being at the bottom of the hierarchy and being very uh naughty <laughs> um anyway let's do this segment get pregnant and die don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die, die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise? I'd love to hear an anecdote from you about your sex education when you were younger. I, um, oh my goodness, that's so great. So, Oh, the Miracle of Life movie. I think we all watched it. I'm not sure if it's uh, as prolific in the uh, in Australia, but in in Catholic school, 
it's funny because it's like the way that everything is framed is like that procreative activity is like the only thing that matters for women. And so I remember being in like eighth grade health class and we watched this movie called The Miracle of Life. And essentially it like showed a man and a woman and they went on a date and then she was pregnant. And then like this baby just came out of her. Um, (laughs) And there's just like these massive, massive gaps. Like I learned sex ed in Catholic school. Oof. Oof. Such a bummer. (laughs) And there was more questions than answers, obviously. And um, yeah, and then I was actually kicked out of that school, like the next week. So it was like a very clear. um, Yeah, there's a lot missing here. And it was really interesting, because, like, they talked about virginity and the hymen and things like that. And I hadn't mine had already been like, popped or whatever um so there was just all of this shit that just didn't like apply to me and like there was no room to really ask questions and like I I was just astonished at like so the whole point of sex is to have a kid that is the way it's framed so um yeah that that was my get pregnant and die it's pretty much like their perspective was like get pregnant and live you know it's like the only uh thing that's worth living for is to just pump out a bunch of babies um at least yeah (laughs) that is the point of you being alive is to be a baby machine Oh my god. Yeah, super fun. <laughs> so yeah, super fun. Stoked for you. We're all wondering though, what got you kicked out of school? <laughs> yeah, so as I mentioned before, I um it's it's also like uh passed down to me too, because my mom was also thrown out of Catholic church at 13. So there's something about the 13-year-old woman in my family <laughs> getting thrown out of a Catholic institution. I think that's like when they know you're a witch or not. But um <laughs> so uh, dead ass, like so I what I mentioned earlier was I was addicted to opiates at 13. So like straight up I brought morphine and codeine and a bunch of shit my dad's medications because he was suffering from pancreatic cancer and I just was rummaging through like the medicine cabinet just trying to like numb out and not feel shit because it was like really hard to watch him be so ill that I was like oh painkillers would be nice so I um I got a hold of them and I brought them to school and there was this chick that I was friends with at the time. And, um, she, she was going through a little rough, rough patch too. And so she asked me to supply some for her. And so we had some at school together and got so fucking sick that we both needed to leave to go home. Uh, and the next day she had more and was just so fucked up at school that she got pulled into the principal's office and totally ratted me out. And because her parents were funding the school um, and giving extra money and I was on scholarship and like, you know, one of the only black kids at that school, um, 
I just got thrown out. And then she went into an outpatient and got to stay. So I also got to learn a little bit about just the way the system functions. And if you're paying to play, then you might be able to stay and like, you know, but they'd been fed up with my shit anyway. I was like on academic probation. I was behavioral probation. I was already seeing the school counselor. I mean, like they had their fucking hands full with my ass. And I just it was a really wonderful protective mechanism for me absolutely falling apart in their systems. Um, I fell through the cracks so badly and finally mm. just ended with like, you know, the principal telling me that I was a threat to the student body. So I left. Um, yeah. And yeah, that was a hard day. That was a super hard day for my family. I was thrown out on Valentine's day um, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> the love letter okay. from the Catholic. No, it was great. Like the love letter from the Catholic establishment. Like we don't have enough love, you know, That's for you, for people like you, which was cool. Cause I was like, you know, already exploring. I had already been in the principal's office for trading nudes with like some of the boys in class. And you know what I mean? It's like, I was already engaging in like intimacy and questioning these things and like had a reputation for being a slut already. Like I was just a fucking problem and, you know, I was engaging in substances and intimacy and they just, they're like, we, our hands are tied. Like we literally cannot take care of you because you're just too much. So it was really great because I finally like busted out of that system and I went to public yeah. school and where kids were talking about sex, where kids like knew what a condom was, like where kids were doing drugs very openly and smoking hella weed. And I was like, now we can have a conversation. Now I can actually start to ask the right questions here because mm. I really believe that prohibition, like harsher, stringent access protocols, you know, like separating people from knowledge, like creates bigger problems. Like I actually didn't even get in trouble in middle school or high school because there was so much access. There was so much conversation. I didn't get pulled into any of it. Um, mm. I could just ask the questions, explore, learn, and then make the choice for myself. But I think because I learned so little about sex and I learned so little about substances and I learned so little about interpersonal relationships and sexual assault, you know, because the school didn't want to talk about any of those things. I actually fell victim to it more often and was preyed upon mm. more often and didn't have the skills to navigate um, any of it. So I'm so grateful yeah. I got thrown out of school because I actually entered into my real world understanding of any of these things. So um, shout out to shout out to all of the Christian and Catholic schools that like really tried to like wrangle me in, but fucking couldn't. Um, Cause I'm just a wild, I'm a wild ass woman. And um, I'm so grateful for that spirit in me um, that just, would yeah just fought for freedom like at any point yeah. I could yeah yeah amazing oh my god I'm glad I asked so much gold in there they did you so funny you out yeah yeah um, I'm so glad they did <laughs> so I'd love to chat about how psilocybin mushrooms can enhance the the parenting journey and I guess yeah, for ourselves, but also just help us be like better parents to our kids. Um, I would love to hear just something I pulled from your bio that I was like, oh, that's a fucking sentence. Let's just unpack that. I'd love you to explain for us what you mean by rematriate entheogens by advocating for ethics and womb to tomb psychedelic literacy. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, okay. Jumping from right. My adolescent life into <laughs> becoming a mother. Right. And like the person in between, right. The sensual being that existed, that was born out of all of those experiences. Um, you know, I think a big question that people ask, and it's what we're working on with the mothers of the mushroom project really is, is working out the kinks of the answer to this question is like, you know, are mushrooms safe and how safe are they in like pregnancy, breastfeeding and postpartum, you know, because when does a mother's relationship with mushrooms end begin, you know, and when does that like circuitry, you know, um, what are, what are, what are the depths in which that circuitry can exist? And so I, um, maintained a really close relationship with mushroom well into my twenties. And, um, as like, yeah, I found a beautiful person to share my life with and, you know, participated in substances with this person and continued it in my own way. And, um, we became pregnant when I was 25. Um, and I just was faced with that question. Like, do I stop my relationship with mushrooms here? Do I continue it? What's the safety? So, you know, speaking to the audience of people that are not yet pregnant, um, just want to share that, you know, starting from as early as that, um, as part of the answer to how do mushrooms impact a parenting process? And, um, I mean, how do they impact your ability to become pregnant, conception, your fertility? I love, And I've been studying my own body with mushrooms and learned some incredible things around mushrooms impact on menstruation and fertility and essentially um, ovulatory cycles are instrumental in the overall well-being of a person with a female reproductive system or a cycling body in that way. Um, Not only are ovulatory um, the, the symphony of ovulatory, um, chemicals instrumental in helping with the overall hormonal health, but they also give cues to the cardiovascular system and the skeletal system. So, you know, the foundations of our body are pretty much like fueled and supported by ovulatory cycles. And so, um, hormonal birth control is something that, you know, I love to bring up in conversation around fertility and overall uterine well-being, uh, hormonal health. And, you know, how do mushrooms impact someone that is on hormonal birth control might be a little different than someone who might not be on hormonal birth control. So that's something to keep in mind. And also, um, a lot of the earth medicines function differently in bodies with hormonal birth control and without hormonal birth control. So also really cool to understand as well. Um, What I've learned and seen in myself, um, I do regular, not just symptom thermal mapping um, or just like body markers, but I've used scientific tools to measure my hormones over the course of like cycles and seen the impacts that eating mushrooms makes on hormones in real time. Um, and what wow. I've seen in my own body, um, yeah, there's actually like cool technology that you can buy and strips that you can use to read the hormonal makeup of 
yourself through a cycle. And it's a really important thing to study yourself. It's a really important thing to know what's going on in your body at any given time. And there's ways to track that, you know, with period trackers and um, biomarkers and things. And I'm also really a data-driven person. And so I really wanted to see the numbers. And um, I found a really affordable way to do that. So I had a high-dose mushroom experience um, around the solstice, uh, winter solstice. And I, f- and I saw in my uh, hormones that my LH, my luteinizing hormone skyrocketed the day after I ate mushrooms, which was very fascinating because as I've supported people wanting to become pregnant, I've found that people dealing with fertility, um, issues or having trouble getting pregnant often after high dose mushroom experiences have a much more useful time conceiving which is very interesting. So the proof was in the pudding for me was that it triggered luteinizing hormone, which is the hormone that is present during um, your ovulatory window, which was really cool. So um, yes, it is impacting the hormonal system. It didn't trigger ovulation. It didn't trigger ovulation. It triggered and created a fertile environment. It did not trigger my ovulation. It, it, Mm. um, created so you'd still want to be doing doing it around the time when you're due to ovulate kind of soon it might just like lengthen the fertile window by creating a more conducive environment in there for like longer than the average kind of fertile window? absolutely is that what you mean absolutely okay. yeah that's cool. what at least what i noticed within myself i peaked luteinizing hormone twice in that cycle which doesn't mean i ovulated twice because you don't usually ovulate mm-hmm. twice in a single cycle but i had peak fertility more than once according to the numbers, which was very cool. Um, so that is anecdotal, but is something that I've been able to read in myself, which is very cool. Excuse this quick interruption. I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab. And the more people who get to hear it, the more people I can help with it. Reviews and ratings actually do make a big difference to this little independent podcaster. Um, and it's really easy to just quickly show your support by taking that simple act of either leaving five stars for the show on Spotify or even better, writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're a real overachiever, you can do them both. That would be mad. If you're writing a review though, just be sure to use G-rated words because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't make it through the gates. Lame. Anyway, I would personally recommend doing that right now while you remember just to get on top of it and let me know you're with me on this journey. Thanks, gang. Enjoy the rest of the epi. Um, Moving into, you know, regulating like menstrual cycles and like feeling very supported in that we know that psilocybin is affecting hormones. And so a lot of people are noticing um, support with things like PMS because of the way that serotonin, um, serotonin um, impacts hormones and a, a sharp decrease in serotonin premenstrual can also be tied to things like irritability, bloating, headaches, all the things you get in PMS. Mm. And what's so cool about psilocybin is that to the body, it almost looks exactly the same as serotonin. 
they fit in like mm. the same space in your body. So if we are to invite um, something that mimics or like copies what serotonin might be like and how it might function in the body, then we can give the body something that it is depleted in. And then that will reduce like PMS symptoms. So it's, it's a really special thing um, for people to have bioavailable serotonin and running through the body and see how people exist in that space of having just enough, if not more than enough serotonin or serotonin looking things in the body. It does incredible things. So, you know, once pregnancy occurs, then mushrooms supporting mothers in pregnancy at the birth state and postpartum and in extended breastfeeding experiences is what mothers of the mushroom is studying presently. So the question of safety, like how are the kids of mothers that ate mushrooms in pregnancy? Are they alive? Well, yes, <laughs> they are, which is wonderful. And so if we're talking about safety, um, if death is a toxic endpoint, then psilocybin is pretty safe for gestating mothers, which is awesome to be able to know and say, we only have a sample size of 350, but I, okay. I, I mean, it's still enough to kind of look at. So, um, I get into that story of like eating mushrooms while pregnant and, you know, during postpartum and breastfeeding pretty deeply in a lot of my work and so happy to always share that story. And I really want to get to, you know, the benefits that it brings to us as mothers and parents and family members. And not only what are the benefits of the parents, but what are the benefits to the children? Because children are also benefiting from parents that are better regulated. And that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point of this is not like we're just trying to be better for ourselves, but most of the people enter these spaces because they really want to show up well for their kids. And um, I'm grateful that that is the impetus for most people journeying with mushrooms as a parent. As you mentioned, your indoctrination into the war on drugs really is a shared experience and colors so many people's worldviews around parents dosing. And so we are actively pushing up against these preconceived cultural notions and models of like the crack mom, right? It's fucked up that that became a cultural trope, you know, and it's really disgusting that the, war on drugs was like a concerted effort by the United States government and many governments of the world to like further push marginalized people into more marginalization and like initiate mass incarceration for things that, um, that happened by design flooding the streets with crack cocaine on purpose to dismantle whole communities is pretty much what the drug war was set out to do. So, you know, we are pushing up against a lot of cultural conditioning that people have around mothers enjoying and journeying with altered states of consciousness. So um, it's beautiful to see that even the microdosing mom as like a trope, as a cultural, like, you know, 
mm-hmm. I guess, like a little, little cookie cutter, like role that they want to put the moms in like, Oh, look at the microdosing mom. It's like the new wine mom. Like, yeah, I can totally get that. They're just mm-hmm. chilling out after, you know, a long day and they're still participating in their motherly duties and they're just chilling out, you know, like a glass of wine. Like that's kind of the, the perspective that people like to have around parents and mothers that eat mushrooms. But what we've learned in the research is that there is such a wider range of mushroom experiences that mothers are having up to like six grams or more. So a a large percentage of mothers are having way more than microdoses and are journeying like in a way different capacity than people ever thought. And that's really wonderful to know that mothers and people that are raising children are like ceremonialists. Like we are cultivators, we're growing mushrooms, we're leaders in the space, we're raising children in psychedelic communities, like we're leading, you know, the people in this movement. So it's it's really cool to see that mothers are playing a way bigger role in psychedelics than just a microdosing mom. Um, and the benefits that that brings um, in the Mothers of the Mushroom landing page, I have preliminary results of the first 300 yeah. submissions. And so what we learned from that, right, there's these words that kept coming up all the time in these submissions, like um, words like peaceful, calm, connected, communicative, um, patient, sleep, like present, the word present in all of the feedback came up 158 times. So we're talking like a more connected, peaceful, emotionally regulated, happy, relaxed, not anxious, energetic, intuitive energy, you know, like these mothers are receiving this. And one of the questions we had was like, what benefits are you seeing for the kids? And those words are very much shared in a lot of the Uh feedback around how the kids are functioning. And what I loved, what one mother said was, my child is benefiting because I'm a more regulated parent. And that shit hit me like, I talk about this very often. When I talk about psychedelic family life, people are obsessed with this idea that I'm dosing my kid. They're like, oh my God, like, I can't believe your kid is microdosing or whatever, right? My son is four. In a cultural context, he would be eating mushrooms at this point, right? And we have not made that decision for ourselves yet. It's not that he hasn't tried them because he certainly has, but are we actively dosing our child at this time? No. And I absolutely want to normalize that because there's lots of 10 year olds eating mushrooms right now. Um, but the obsession with, with dosing our kids, it's people missing the point. People think consumption is how you receive benefit from something because we only understand to consume. Right. And Mm -hmm. What I've seen in the lives of so many of these kids is that they're benefiting from the environment that the adults are making for them to experience yeah. as psychedelic families. Like they are sitting in, in, in houses that are surrounded by and created by people that are deeply invested in the quality of their consciousness. So that means less TV, less technology, better food, more music, more art, more community. That means maybe alternative family structures with aunties and uncles and intergenerational housing structures with lots of adults to learn from. That means 
plants. That means peace. That means meditation and mindfulness as part of the daily life. Like there's all of these, these outpourings of benefit from people that have central nervous systems that are regulated and what they create. And the kids are growing up in those kinds of environments. And that in itself is beneficial for families. Um. Yes. So yes, I'm happy for yes. these kids. I'm really happy for these I kids. Know. And I'm happy for these moms. And like the dad, the dad survey is next. And, you know, the dads also deserve to tell their stories because the fathers are showing up a little bit more and in a way that they never had in previous generations. And it's really cool to see, you know, gender roles becoming more um, fair and more neutralized oh. and more, more, um, equality in the family home, um, where mothers are not just so burdened by the weight of having to carry the entire home without pleasure, without resources. And with this, like, oh. you belong to me mentality. So I'm really happy and looking forward to what this world of children and these next generations look like when they're being raised by mothers that are happy and fulfilled and healthy and self-determined and also being more supported than they ever were. Yeah. Amazing. And it's just so obvious to me when like, cause I worked in childcare for years um, from zero to four or five years old was my kind of age group at the childcare center in the kindergarten and it it was very um yeah very obvious how sensitive and how affected these kids were by their parents emotional state and you know even when they're baby baby babies like when the parents were dropping them off you know was one of the most obvious times that you would see this and if the parent was really emotional or anxious or feeling really stressed and not great about like maybe they're feeling guilty or you know, they were kind of worried about the drop-off, worried about leaving their mm. child, that child would absolutely scream and cry the centre down. Um, and, you know, the distress from the mother would just kind of be reflected in the child and it would just be this vicious cycle and I would often just be like, can you please just leave? Like you just got to do the drop-off, hand them over, get the fuck out of here because you're making it worse. I obviously didn't say say those words, but, um, you know, and then as they got older in the kindergarten, like real, real anxieties were starting to come out mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, I would meet the families and the parents and I would see that the, the parents mm -hmm. had a decent level of anxiety themselves or they weren't able to be fully grounded or present. And what I noticed in the preliminary results of the mothers of much mushroom study was like one of the like the top three you know most commonly cited benefits were relief from anxiety feeling present and feeling calm and it's like if you're if you're in that space you're in that emotional space your kid is one million percent going to benefit from that and reflect those emotional states um so, yeah, it's so powerful what you're doing. I can't wait to see the study for dads. It's still open at the moment. Like people can still contribute to the study at your website. Yes, absolutely. So um, we're at a really sweet number right now. We're at 340. And so I think 350 is like such a great sample size because it's like small enough for me to actually work with and like big enough to actually say this is kind of a substantial group of people to be yeah. looking at. And like, 
it's going to stay open. It's just, we're probably going to pause at a number so that we can really work through the data together. Um, because it's, it's so many stories. And, um, so I highly encourage anyone listening, please share, you know, if you or a friend or anyone, you know, in your community ingested mushrooms in any amount during pregnancy at the birth postpartum or, um, during your extended breastfeeding experience or beyond, um, just that whole gestational experience is what we're really interested in. And I, um, I'm just really grateful to all of the organizations that have already like supported this project and making it come into fruition and Mm -hmm. the full like website and all of the research and the resources will be made available to the public, um, for mother's day this year. So that's the, that's the gift. That's the gift for moms. And I'm so looking forward to, um, really building a good conversation around this. We've learned Mm -hmm. a lot from the moms. And as you said, you know, the way that the mothers and families are feeling is directly impacting the children. And it's clear. It's very, very clear that when, the nervous system of the whole family is regulated, then the children have at least a chance to learn those skills too. Mm. And um, we, we teach by modeling, you know, we teach by the environment and, you know, postpartum depression affects 3 million women every year. Like that's an Mm. epidemic. That's, that's Mm. epidemic proportions. And if the only thing that mothers are really met with as an alternative you know, to work with this is talk therapy and, you know, SSRIs. Yeah. We really need to offer something that we know won't hurt kids and can actually be a really meaningful, um, gentle, um, teacher Mm. and helper for Mm. people that deserve it the most in this world, which are the people that literally do the thankless work and like are holding the entire Mm. structure of our planet together, which is the mom's. Yeah. And we know now, I mean, maybe, maybe this is, this is so obvious to me and I've been across this for years, but a lot of people probably are still very skeptical, but we know now through studies, psilocybin and, you know, even LSD, like microdosing is as effective, if not more as antidepressants. So like, get on it guys. Um, but I don't want to let you go without getting a TMI story from you. Michaela, do you have a TMI story <laughs> for us? <laughs> okay. Um, so too too much inspiration, right? Like something that's just hmm. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting too because it's like it could it can relate to so many different like portions, parts of my story, there's been, yeah, there's been a lot. Um, there's been a lot of information. Well, okay. So I experienced and went through and, and cared for myself during a herbal and out of clinic pregnancy release process last year. And I know we didn't get to talk too much about herbal contraceptions and birth controls and things, but I, I would love to bring this story in now because it's like super sweet and special um to me um so actually it was during my 
second, my third trimester, beginning my third trimester, I was seven months. Um, I started dealing with these kind of like irrational fears around like losing my child in pregnancy, you know, or early in life. Right. So I was just dealing with this kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. And if something ever happened, I would be like, devastated. So I talked to my midwives about it. I'd been creating a lot of birth art through my whole pregnancy because that's just like how I make sense of anything. And they were like, you know, have you considered making some art around that or like exploring it? Right. And like I working through these fears. And so I just was considering also, you know, maybe, um, maybe, maybe the mushroom can also help me out with this because I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And so I sat with like my little coven, there's like six of us, and we all journeyed on the um, autumnal equinox. And I um, ate three grams of mushrooms, we had tea. So drink three grams of mushrooms, my doula was there. And my doula was like, um, she had a bit of a of an interesting epiphany and was like, we're gonna have your baby right now. So just get in the tub. And uh, we're just gonna do this thing right now. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm like six months pregnant, dude. I'm like almost seven months pregnant. I don't think I'm ready. And um, so we went through the, the, the motions of it. And nothing happened. And I was like, I mean, the, the water got cold, the energy shifted in the room. And she's like, Oh, my God, I killed your baby. And I was like, all three grams of mushrooms, you know, this was the very thing that I was afraid of as fuck. And, um, I just like, I was mortified at the prospect that maybe this could be a reality. And so she over and over and over said like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like I killed your baby. And I was like, Holy shit. I never told her that I was afraid of this. And yet here it was coming to me right in my face. And, um, so, you know, I was faced with the decision of like what to do with this information in my journey. And so I, I, you know, forgave her and then she left the tub and I spent the next three hours of my journey, like processing the potential reality of this being a truth. Um, I got to work through so much like cultural history, stories, knowledges, like things that I had ingrained in my subconscious that I didn't even know was impacting my pregnancy and what I was feeling going into my birth experience. And so I came out of that baby is good. I'm good. But that like release and dump of energetic debris around my fear was pretty Mm. much like gone. And I was like, whoa, that was a very intense, cathartic and like meaningful emotional decharge. And so I didn't have an emotional charge around that, but I needed to still make my art about it. So um, there was this beautiful image that I had of all my sisters. We were by the ocean. We were offering the mushrooms back to the water And I saw all of these women like leaving the souls of their children who did not come earthside all along the beach. And all of these beautiful babies had kind of like, you know, had been floating back up to sky world, right back to the stars. And um, like these star babies were just kind of like being returned. And so I was like, I'm going to paint this, I'm going to paint these women leaving these star babies at the water to be, you know, recycled and given back to the sky world. And, you know, that will be like the imprint of the thing that I learned about this experience that like, not all souls should come 
you know, earth side, not all of them have a contract to do so. And that it is okay inherently that like not all every seed much must grow. And that stillbirths and children that are lost in pregnancy or, you know, even herbal abortion experiences. Mm -hmm. So what was really cool about that was like, I made this painting. It's now a painting I print off and give for free to my community and just say, Hey, I love you. Someone calls me, Hey, there's a homegirl. She just had an abortion. I'm like, cool. Give me her address. And I just like gorilla, just send this out to people um, as just like my love and care. So if there's anyone listening that has a friend who had a stillbirth, a miscarriage, pregnancy release in any way, um, hit me up, you know, ask for the procession of the star babies. You can even get it on my website for free. So, um, I send these out and I've been doing that for like a year or more. And I had my own pregnancy release experience last year. And so I was like down in my little guest house. I had my misoprostol and my herbs that I was drinking and I ate a gram of mushrooms and I was in my herbal release process and my release process there with mushrooms in my system. Just to clarify pregnancy release process you were you were deliberately doing a herbal abortion yes yes gotcha and yeah I'll put a link in the show notes we're not going to have time for it and it's probably a whole episode of its own but yeah if people are interested in being kind Mm -hmm. of guided through this there's heaps of information for free on Michaela's website so much good stuff yeah it's good to know these things just because you don't want to get caught with your pants down like just know it now and then you can use it later right Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte, because I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. Um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. So um, I was supporting myself and being supported by so many other women in my process and, you know, supported by the mushrooms because there's, there's a spiritual reason for this all. So I'm like, I'm in my process in my mushroom experience and I end up in a tub and I'm in the tub and I'm crying, but I'm crying because I'm releasing this pregnancy, like the charge is different, right? The cry that I had when I was pregnant with my son was that, oh my gosh, like this is so hard and like I'm processing this fear. And then I actually walked into my abortion experience with that experience and under my belt and now have kind of time traveled. And I'm like in this tub now crying again as a pregnant person, 
thinking about release, thinking about like this baby leaving my body, but I had the painting. I already made it for myself um, years before to support me and carry me through that experience. And I was like, whoa, I mean, mushrooms are such a powerful like manipulator of time. And I just couldn't believe that I was finding myself in a situation that I'd created something that I I didn't even need in the moment, but would need many years later. Mm. And um, it was a very full circle for me. My release was a very sensuous, loving, kind, peaceful experience. And it took so long to do. I was in that shit for 12 weeks. Let me tell you, like out of clinic, abortion processes are not, you know what I mean? Like for the faint of heart, please do them if you can. But like, I, I really like... I am so humbled by that experience. I tried with the misoprostol. It didn't work. That night did not result in the release. I actually ended up having a wet dream with my homegirl. And she's also an intimacy care provider in the space. And we had like a beautiful orgasmic experience in the dream space. And I woke up like with powerful uterine contractions. And after that dream I was able to release and, you know, held the little being in my hands. I put the little being in a bottle and I carried them with me to all my ceremonies and anywhere that I go of spiritual significance, they come with me um, as just a piece of myself, you know? And so I guess the TMI is like that mushrooms can be a part of any womb experience, even like the ones that we don't think are quote unquote sacred. Abortion is sacred. Pregnancy release is sacred. Um, and orgasm is a big part of mm. how release happens, period. That's like menstruation, that's birth, and that's even abortion. So I just really like mm. my body just sings with orgasmic experiences and psychedelics and orgasm can be really supportive and helpful components of, um, of abortion and holistic abortion practices. So um, thank you for allowing me to share that story. And for anyone who also is experiencing that um, I really do believe in open source education. So, you know, I do have like a natural birth control guide on my website for free and give that beautiful painting out to people for free. It's called the procession of the star babies. And um, we deserve to also normalize and integrate um, death as part of the birth experience. It's super important. Mm. Yeah, that could be a podcast of its own, couldn't it? There's actually so many things I didn't didn't get a chance to ask you around, yeah, healing sexual trauma, also like integrating our sensuality and sexuality, you know, with the help of psychedelics and how that can yeah. enhance that whole, you know, that that should be an episode. Maybe we'll have to jump back on and do do an episode around sexuality and Ooh, yeah, sex and and sex and, and psychedelics is so special and important to me and there's literally a sex and psychedelics magazine i'm getting my story published the one i was pimped out by a white spiritual guru um is getting published in sex and psychedelics magazine this year they're doing like a shadow work like bdsm like sexual assault a whole edition just on that kind of stuff so you know um i'm also really here to normalize like 
the shadow aspect of all of this work and mm-hmm. um, just know that like nothing's too negative, nothing's too dark, like nothing's too like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm here for the decomposition, dark mother energy. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, come like, yeah, go I've follow Michaela. Some- I've seen some shit. So come, come at me. Yeah. Come at me. I I seen some shit. So you know what I mean? I'm here for it. (laughs) Mm, Amazing. Yeah. Highly recommend people go and read some of the blog posts. I I read that one about the, the tantric pimp. Um, and yeah, also Instagram, I'll put all the links in the show notes, but yeah, just love your content. And there's such a, we only covered like a small kind of tip of the iceberg stuff today in terms of things that you are really knowledgeable and and passionate about. So everyone go check out Michaela's work. Thank you so much, Michaela, for being so generous with your time and, and your really personal sharing. Um, it's been so valuable and I've loved talking to you. Mm, Jessica Mathy, thank you so much. And it's been, it's been a pleasure. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.